Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. Get straight into it. Joining me this episode is Will Miles from his site readingreaction.com and Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Uh, get his thoughts on this uh, Gator 24-20 victory over Miami. Will, we're, we're a couple of days removed from the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, Will Hammond and I had our reaction episode yesterday. Uh, so before we dive into the, the meat of the episode, uh, what's your broad stroke thoughts on the uh, on the Gators victory? I mean, th- there was a game, Dave. I had... <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think my broad stroke response is that no one's going to be happy with this one, whether you're a positive person or a negative person, right? If you're if you're somebody who thinks positively about the program, you're going to say, "Why is everybody being so upset? We won the game." And if you're a if you're inclined to be a more cynical person, then you look at it and say, "You know, if things haven't improved, and and that we were expecting more coming out of the off season and all that sort of stuff." And I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. I, I think this is one of those where you look at it and say, "With all the things that went wrong." you just lick your wounds and you're happy you get out with the W and, and move on to the schedule. You're going to have one of these at some point in the year. And the question mm-hmm. is, can you pull it out? And they pulled it out. Now the question is, is that because Miami's a really good team and we're going to find that out later in the year? Or is it because um, Florida is more like Miami and, and we're going to be, you know, in that eight and four, nine and three range. And, you know, whether that's acceptable to you or not, has a lot to, has a lot to say about your expectations for the team coming into the year. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it for me are the expectations and, and where you sit, uh, where, where you sit on this and where everybody else sits on this, Will, because, I mean, look, with this game, the spotlight it's, it was in and the only college football game on uh, at that time, there's some strong opinions and, and criticism out there uh, headed towards the, 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 the Gators and kind of praising Miami uh, at the same time as well, even in a loss. Uh, so, you know, there's some criticism uh, regarding this victory for the Gators. But before we get into that, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. And using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And follow us on social media at 
uh, Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Don't forget, it'll be uh, out later this week, but the News for Jacks exclusive every week during the football season. Talking with Troop, former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me every week on News for Jacks. It gives his thoughts on the Gators like only he can, and you know Ben brings it every time, and you can catch that every week exclusively on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So, Will, let's move into it, of course. Plenty of criticism out there regarding this Florida win over Miami uh, in the first game of the season. Uh, many out there, you know, their convictions that were they think their convictions were made stronger, or, or, or there's still just too many answers uh, or too many questions out there uh, that we that we need answers to that we're just not really going to get this early in the season. Uh, but with the high expectations, you know, that we mentioned, Will, some, some national media, local media, uh, and fans are voicing displeasure in ways you would have thought Miami won this game. So, <laughs> now look, uh, yeah, I never want to tell people how to feel, how to think, and I'm not really trying to change anyone's mind here, but there, you know, there's usually two sides to every story, and uh, with a flurry of tweets yesterday, I was just trying to, to provide some balance out there uh, uh, on the Florida side of things, and, you know, that this isn't all doom and gloom after one game. Yeah, I mean, there were good things. You could see good things. There were some things where if a play goes one way or a play goes another way, then then you can see Florida sort of running away with it. I, I think, um, you know, until the ball was tipped in the, in the second quarter right before halftime and Miami went ahead, you kind of felt like Florida had control of the mm-hmm. game, kind of like they did against Florida State and Michigan last year where they hadn't necessarily pulled away, but they had control. And then once they fell behind, then – Certainly, I think things tightened up a little bit, and and obviously they were able to pull it out. But I think you I think you take a look at this game and you say there are obviously some flaws that need to be fixed. Obviously, some things that need to be tightened up. But you know, I mean, when was the last time a Florida team had four turnovers and won the game? And when was the last time that a Mullen team had four turnovers? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look that up. But um, I suspect that those types of things are things he's going to be able to fix. Now, some of them are things that you wouldn't expect from an experienced team. And I think that's where people get a little bit nervous and Mm -hmm. say, you know, I suspect the people who came out of this disappointed are the same people who have been predicting all offseason that Florida is going to run roughshod over Georgia. And <laughs> there was no way they were going to run roughshod over Georgia with the way they played last night. But thankfully, that or two nights ago, but thankfully, they don't have to play Georgia till October and they've got some time to get things fixed. Yeah. There you go. You were going. You're going exactly where I was going to. And I, the complaint that I don't really care for the most is, "Hey, this won't work versus the, the meat of the SEC schedule." That's true. There, there's no fault in admitting that. But that you know, Florida wasn't playing Auburn. Florida wasn't playing LSU. Florida wasn't playing Georgia. You know, they were playing Miami in the first game of the season and, and came out victorious. You know, this team will worry about those other teams when they get here. And we don't even know how those other teams will look when, when game time gets here against those opponents. Uh, so enjoy this one as much as you can. I mean, look, the, the, the last time Florida and Miami played, it was a turnover fest like this in 2013, and Florida found a way to lose that game. Uh, you know, this time they, they, they were resilient, found a way to win. Uh, and you know, we were so overreactive last year, myself included, really myself included, big time, uh, versus Kentucky last year. And, and this was the first game of the season, season long questions were never going to get answered, uh, in any way. So, did I want to see the team play better? Uh, of course, I did. Should they have played better? Absolutely. But you know, this isn't the final version of the 2019 Gators. You know, there's plenty, there's plenty to fix and plenty of time, uh, the next couple of weeks till, till the Gators play UT Martin and, and, and Kentucky and, or they travel to Kentucky and, and play their first SEC opponent. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Dave, what, what place did you pick the Gators to finish in the SEC East? Second. They still have an opportunity to do that, right? There you go. Yep. <laughs> okay. that's, that's, that's if people have asked me a lot this week in DMs and text messages, you know, how, uh, what's your thought on Florida? Is your, you know, uh, are we in trouble? Or right now, as it stands, my expectations have not changed. Well, I mean, you know, we, we tried to warn people, I guess, last Monday when we were talking about the Miami game specifically that that they were a really good team last year, especially on defense. I mean, that is probably going to end up being a top ten, top fifteen defense. And when and you, you even mentioned what, and you mentioned Will that they, according to your metrics and what you have, they were better than what their record indicated. Yeah, they were a nine win team based on their score differential last year, and they wound up going seven and six because I think they were one and three in one score games. Now, you know, now they've they're one out of their last five because they're not because they lost this one in a one score capacity. But it, you know, it, Miami is a good team. Now, is Miami an elite team? I don't think so. But I think you look at the end of the year, they're probably going to be a top 20, maybe even top 15 team. And a neutral site win over a top 20 team in the first game of the year is is significant. And I don't, I don't think you want to just poo-poo wins over Power 5 opponents from the ACC. I mean, if this was a bowl game and it was against, say, Virginia Tech in, in some bowl game at the end of the year and you won 24 to 20 and say, hey, we beat the ACC, we have bragging rights. The only reason this is a bigger deal is one because it's Miami, but then the other is because it starts the season. So you're you're still sitting there with with open questions. And I mean, you know, if it was forty five to three and Florida had won the game, I think people everybody'd feel better. But I also think it probably wouldn't have been based in like I still don't think you would have had any conclusions coming out of the game. You would have said, "Huh, well maybe Miami's just not very good. You know, maybe Jaron Williams getting sacked ten times in a game is is an issue. That's why Florida ran away with it." And uh, Yes, yeah, so I, I suspect that there's truth on both sides, that Florida came out and did some things that are uncharacteristic of the team in general and are going to have to be uncharacteristic for them to make noise in the SEC. But the other thing that can be true is that Miami is a pretty good team as well. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said earlier, Will, and, and, and kind of I think were some disappointment besides the expect. Well, kind of in relation to the expectations was because you had uh, a returning quarterback, because you had this deep, running back set, this deep wide receiver set uh, in the defense that came back as well. And, you know, of course, what, 54 plays, I think, were run on the offense. And so it was very, very clunky, hard, hard to get into a rhythm uh, there. And, you know, I also don't want to make it sound like excuses. You know, uh, there, there are places, and we'll get into it uh, when we discuss your article that you released, but uh, there are places the Gators could definitely get better. But there were – times when you could have seen this game get out of hand if florida does score right where right there where they fumbled uh going in it was seven three florida's going in uh pressing on the door uh to, to score their next touchdown to go up 14 to three and they looked the slant the grounds was open the piran thought he had a, a a lane to to make something happen thought he was getting the handoff franks goes to pull it and you know a miscommunication there but you know florida was that close to and, and don't get me wrong this if fans butts whatever uh, but your father's right there to to get ready to go up 14-3. And I said, it, I don't have many times last week in preview in this game. I wanted Florida to be aggressive early. They were. I wanted Florida to get up early because you do that. And what we ended up seeing how this defense matched up against Miami's offense and Jerry Williams being pressured. Florida gets up 14-3 and, and Miami starts pressing any. And you saw how Jerry Williams was running for his life all night anyway. Florida gets up 14-3. I think it, in, it does end up that blowout. Yeah, well, I got to be honest. The the Franks P Ryan mesh. I mean, that's something that can't happen. Obviously, yeah. especially that's the worst part with, with the experience. 
yeah. well, especially with guys who are that experienced. And yeah, they should be up 14-3. But the other thing is, is that the pitch to Malik Davis that got fumbled, I mean, that looked like it, sh- it was going to be a touchdown too, based yeah. on where guys were and, and sort of what he had open. So again, the play call was right. The, the play was open and the players didn't execute. And I guess you could... I don't know who you blame for that. I mean, I think you sort of look at it and say there are times. I mean, I remember last year in the Georgia game, there was a pitch play that Emory Jones had that was open, and the Georgia defensive lineman tipped it, and, and then they had to fall on it. But that play was open and sort of killed the drive that was promising for Florida. So those types of things happen. They happened a lot in this game. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you sort of you start off with the fumble when you're about ready to go up 14 to three. And that's disappointing because I think most Florida fans thought that they were going to start, you know, taunting the Miami guy who was sitting next to him at the time. And then the Frank's interception at the end, also disappointing and a little bit confusing. And you sort of bookend it with that and, and feel like you got away with one a little bit. And and that maybe is where some of the disappointment comes from. But again, I go back to your goal coming out of this game was to be one and zero. No one looks at score differential. And if Miami is a top 15 team at the end of the year, this is going to be a real feather in Florida's cap when it comes to playoff and those sorts of discussions, if they can get better and they can beat some of the teams that are on their schedule. Do I think they're a playoff team? No, I didn't think they were before the season started. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that there would be some inconsistencies. I think what surprised me is that the inconsistencies went throughout the entire game. That, you know, you had the two bad turnovers on the fumbles in the first half, and then you had the the overthrow to Swain for the interception that was tipped, which, you know, I mean, a little bit lower, it's, it's a big play down the middle, a little bit higher and maybe Cleveland catches it behind him. It might've even been intended for Cleveland. I'm not sure. And then, and then the, the interception at the end, which is sort of a poor play call by Mullen, poor execution by Franks. And, and obviously just uh, a yeah, turnover <laughs> if it had turned into a touchdown the other way, but you got away with it. And I think you, you just need to be thankful for that and sort of move on. Yeah, going to that point, and that play kind of personified the night. If it could go wrong, it would go wrong. And so then, uh, you know, I mean, look, they, they still they still made enough plays to win. There, you know, for you know, Frank's what the first interception he threw comes very comes back the very next play offensive play. That's when he hits Hammond down there. So you know, it was the, kind of we'll get into it. You know, kind of the, the inconsistent Franks that we know uh, that we've come to know uh, in, in his first few years uh, in Gainesville. Well, another thing I just kind of want to get on here is we talked about the spotlight the game was on and the expectation, but you know this national narrative out there, you know that you know that in a way Miami should have won this game and Florida is not the top ten team. They didn't deserve the top ten ranking. Uh, they just live a facade off of uh, you know the, the last stretch of uh, at the, toward the end of last year. I just it's so weird to see to see that it's a narrative out there but you go and look at it out there and it was the only game on TV it's going to get stressed it's going to get scrutinized it's going to it's un, it was under a microscope and everybody a lot of people wanted to see what step Florida was going to take and that step wasn't taken uh in game 1 and we'll see what happens in games 2 through uh 2 through 12 uh but you know right before we came on here I'm sitting there look, just kind of reading uh, and you know some quarterback power rankings come out, and Franks is the only one that's played a game. And I think they, they said uh, he he's dropped a few spots. I don't know what they had him before. This is Saturday down south. Uh, they, they dropped him to eighth, and you have a quarterback, Matt Corral, six, who hasn't played a down of college football. It, it's just there's a lot of overreaction at, 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 out there. 
I don't. If you want to overreact after some other teams have, or if you want to react after just coming up weekend, and other teams have played some games, then by all means do it. But with this being the only game played, and you're kind of related to some other teams who haven't played a game yet, it seems, seems kind of silly to me. Yeah, the Franks hate has confused me a little bit. I mean, he hasn't looked like he didn't look fantastic in the game. But if he doesn't throw that interception at the end, I think the narrative is, is that Felipe Franks bailed out a team that didn't have a running game. Yeah. I mean, they, they averaged 1.8 yards per carry. They couldn't they couldn't move the ball on the ground at all. They kind of abandoned it really in the second half. I mean, he threw the ball nine times in the first half and then 18 times in the second half. He averaged 9.4 yards per attempt. He couldn't really run the ball very much. He had seven rushes for eight yards. But his yards above replacement was 1.19, which is like Heisman level, <laughs> Heisman level yard. And then his quarterback rating was 151.6. So again, I get it. He had his hand in all the turnovers, and those turnovers really are what kept Miami in the game. But if they can clean up the turnovers and only have two of them, th- they win this game by three touchdowns. Now, I mean, they didn't clean it up and they did have all those turnovers. But at the same time, you start looking at things. This is something that we talked about during our previews, just sort of general luck. And last year, Florida recovered a bunch of fumbles. They didn't, reco- they didn't recover anything in this game, except for the one that Jeff Thomas fumbled on special teams. But you had the Franks and Piran fumble that went Miami's way. You had the Franks and Davis fumble that went Miami's way. And Davis was down on that one. I'm almost certain after seeing the replay. And that really should have been Gators ball. And then you've got the three Jaron Williams fumbles on the last drive, where by the third one, you were just sort of laughing, going, what else could go wrong here? How could they not recover this? And you know, So there were six times the ball was on the ground. Miami recovered it five times. Florida got it once. Usually that's going to be three and three. And I got to be honest, if, if it had been three and three, Florida wins this game by a ton. So, um, again, I, I think you start looking at all the things that went wrong, all the things, you know, the tipped pass at the end of the half for Miami. That usually ends up hitting the ground or getting intercepted, not turning into a touchdown pass. The tip pass by Swain turns into an interception. He's usually going to, usually going to, uh, you know, he's usually going to catch that. You know, they had 17 plays, Miami did, versus one play to end the game, and the defense was able to hold up. They had the pass interference on the fourth and 30-whatever <laughs> in the fourth quarter. So, like, all of those things are sort of working against you, and you still pull out the win. It's one of those things where, again, I think Florida was the better team. I think Florida also made more mistakes. But I look at that and say, okay, if you can clean up the mistakes, you were the better team. I'd rather win that way than have gotten thoroughly outplayed and then pull it out of the end. Because then then you're sitting there going, okay, we got lucky to pull this out. We didn't pull it out even though we didn't play our best game. I think if you told me... If you told me that Florida had been out physical, that Florida had been uh, had been dominated and just happened to pull it out because of a couple of turnovers, I'd say, that's not a real good outcome. But in this yeah. case, in this case... The turnovers were self-inflicted for the most part, and so those should be cleaned up. And and if they don't turn the ball over, even if they don't score, like let's say they get a field goal on the drive, you know, on, on one of those two drives mm-hmm. down in uh, down in the red zone there with with the two fumbles, they're still up ten to three, and it's a completely different ball game. All right. Well, we'll get into your article here that you just released on uh, Read Reaction. Uh, really, Sunday. We'll stay up really late after the game Saturday night, so it was a lot, a lot of work put in uh, for that article to get it up in time uh, Sunday morning. Before we get there, though, guys, you've got to try UFM underwear. It's hot out there. Football season's starting, so whether you're tailgating or working, you need to try a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels, 
and pre-sized pouches. Underwear for men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company and has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for it all. Go try your pair now. Head over to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your purchase of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. And will you uh, release that? You know, really good film review article. Uh, you know, after the game, stayed up late watching the game over and over again. Uh, and out on a reading reaction. Uh, you know, showed the good and the bad uh, from this win. And uh, listeners, if you haven't done so yet, go go check it out. Uh, Will's got some highlights up there to go along with what he's describing that he saw there. Uh, Will, let's just start on the offense here for a second. Three hundred six yards on the game, seventy nine yards on that first drive, fifty one yards on the second drive. Uh, and that's where you know they fumbled, of course. Uh, and then Will, it was 176 yards the rest of the game after those first two drives. Uh, that included a four-play, 80-yard drive in the second half. So you know we talk about the importance of big plays, Will, all the time, and big plays were the difference for the Gators versus Miami. Uh, you know, Florida didn't have the number, but it was the, those two. <laughs> the big plays they had were certainly the difference uh, in the game. Tony Screen touchdown, Hammond 65-yard reception go a long way in giving giving this win to Florida. You know, the, the offense shot themselves in the foot, unforced fumbles, Franks those two interceptions. Uh, Florida only runs 54 plays, uh, seven in the fourth quarter uh, when they you know, could have salted the game away with four and a half minutes left. You know, so I'm not trying to take away the big plays because they did happen, but the more I go back and look at it, they, they were the difference in this game because of the, uh, the mistakes and the inconsistency everywhere else. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things you always want to look for when you look at those explosive plays, the 20-plus yard plays, is did they turn into touchdowns? Did they turn Mm -hmm. into touchdowns? Did they turn into field goals? Or were you not able to turn them into points? And in both cases, Florida's two big plays turned into touchdowns. So, you know, two years ago, maybe even last year, they hit that big throw to Hammond, and are they able to ram the ball in? I mean, it was the minute they hit it. They were up there at the line of scrimmage. They get the ball out to Pitts. Pitts takes it down to like the two. Franks is able to run it in. Like it just felt like, you know, pop, 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 pop. And all of a sudden they were in there and they sort of gained the momentum to be able to, you know, hitting that one play and then being able to finish off the drive. And that was something I think we started to see towards the end of the year last year was being able to finish that Mm -hmm. off. Um, You know, the reality is, is that big play. So Florida's offense had 5.5 yards per play. Over its fifty-five, over its fifty-five plays last year, that would have been sixty-sixth in the FBS. So they were average, right? They were average, and I think that's what you see: is that there was some up, there was some down. They were average, and you would you would hope that they would be above average, but you know, that may be what the offense is, based on offensive line play and running game. And you know, if they'd have been able to, if they'd have been able to put up like a hundred yards rushing, I think it's a completely different story. But sitting there at fifty yards rushing, you know. Basically, it was you were getting nothing out of the running game, and so Franks had to do it all with his arm. Um, and he was able to do that a little bit. He wasn't able to just do it consistently the whole game. There were a lot of times where, you know, there were a couple of plays where they hit the ball right at the sticks, maybe a yard mm-hmm. short, able to go for it on fourth down. But you don't want to be converting. I mean, you want to go for it on fourth down when you have the opportunity, but you don't want to have to go for it on fourth down like three times in a drive because you keep coming up short on third by, you know, by six inches. So I think there's obviously some work they can do on offense to be a little bit better. But, you know, again, I think they were average. They weren't bad. And I think if you're an average offense and you play really good defense, you're going to win a bunch of games. 
Um, the question is, can they sort of ratchet that up? And, you know, the expectation at Florida over the last two decades really has been 40 points or bust. And I'm just not sure that this offense is one that against a good opponent is going to put up 40 and people may just, that just may need to be the way the expectations lie. Well, I mean, look a lot like last year. We were happy with last year. We expect to see progression. You said maybe there's a little bit there uh, when we're all said and done uh, after this game to, to kind of build upon uh, from there. Let's, let's continue this offensive talk, Will, with Felipe Franks. And something I know we were all looking forward to, especially when you kind of you pointed it out. And I, I think, uh, you know, one of your one of the best points you've ever made uh, about Felipe Franks looking and watching his play and how he struggles throwing to the left. And, and you had you had a passing chart in this article charting left, center, right, you know, where uh, where Franks was throwing uh, on the field. The broadcast mentioned Miami keeping Franks from rolling to his right. And, you know, uh, and you had the great look this offseason about Franks throwing to his left. So, you know, it was nothing special, but, you know, he completed a few passes to his left. And all in all, we did get. Uh, the, the same inconsistent Franks when the when the game was uh, when the game was over with, but it wasn't terrible Franks. Uh, and nobody can talk me in and, and, and there and, and tell me he played a terrible game. He had terrible moments, but he did not play a terrible game. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it, w- one thing in that, in that last interception, I think he puts too much on himself at times. Uh, and and you know, going into this game. Uh, the the spotlight was on the team, and the spotlight was really on Felipe Franks as well. And, and a lot of offseason talk about him is where does he rank in the SEC pantheon of quarterbacks, and you know how, how far is he behind uh, Tua and From? Uh, can he be up there with Burrow and Mond and 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 Kelly Bryant? And you know, and you see him; he wears his emotion on his sleeve. Uh, he, he did it a lot. You saw it talking to the crowd, talking to the camera. And at a time there at the end, he he, he should have just ate that ball. He should he should have taken that sack. But I think you know he just puts too much on himself. He tries too hard. Uh, no need to even attempt that last interception with the pressure he was facing there. Take the sack, move on, uh, and go back. Uh, you know that that first touchdown. And like I said, that the slant the grounds is there. It was like he notices at the last moment. It might be you know what leads to the fumbled handoff between him and Piran. Um, so you know it, it's just. Points there uh, that that you can point to a uh, Felipe Franks. We kind of alluded to it earlier there, but uh, you know, the, the, I think there was uh, enough to point to to show that he actually showed some progress as well. Sure. I mean, I think last year when you saw the fumble against Georgia down by the goal line, you felt like he went into a little bit of a shell after that. And and I know two years ago. He threw an interception against Texas A&M, and I definitely felt that that, yeah. that was sort of what happened, that he went into a shell there. He didn't go into a shell yesterday or two days ago. He came out and, you know, hit the, hit the throw to Hammond, was able to direct the – hit the throw out to Pitts and was able to get down to the goal line and then was able to punch it in and put them ahead, you know, right after Miami had sort of – the only drive of the second half where Miami really had anything going on the defense with all the missed tackles on the one run by, uh, by Dallas. But – you know, I, I charted both left and right, but then I also charted where distant throw distance. So he was six of seven behind the line of scrimmage. He was seven of eleven from one to nine yards. He was three of seven from ten to nineteen yards, so forty-three percent. Then he was one of two on attempts that are deep. And so I think if you're going to maybe criticize the Florida offense, one of the things they probably should have done was taken a couple of their deep shots. Now, mm-hmm. you know, they did take a deep shot. I think it was to Grimes where they got a pass interference call early in the game. But you know, and one of the play, and the first play of the game too, down the sideline to Jefferson. Yeah, but that one was that one's actually accounted for in the one for two, right? It was okay, got you, got you. But but again, if you look last year, one of the things that we really pointed out when we charted his when we charted his games during last year was in those last four games he was more accurate deep mm-hmm. that in that 
early in the year, he was completing something like 30% of his passes from 10 to 19 yards and 20 plus yards. And yesterday or two days ago, he was 43% from 10 to 19 yards. And he was 50% 20 plus yards. So if anything, I would say maybe you need to start throwing it a little bit more downfield with him and not necessarily making him, making him dump the ball off. There were a lot of throws to P Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was kind of an interesting thing. I, you know, last year they went to a lot of wide receiver screens and, and against Miami, that was much more focused on P Ryan, trying to get him involved in the, in the passing game. And I think some of that had to do with game plan, you know, thinking, Hey, our offensive line may struggle. Right. We're going to try to get him on the outside, but that's where I was going I, with it. like, I would have liked to have seen maybe Grimes on the outside or Tony again on the outside after they sort of lost track of him. I think you can say some things about the play calling. I think you can say some things about, um, about a lot of different things within the game. I I don't think that this all lays on Franks. I think if you actually look at the film overall, you would say Franks acquitted himself fairly well. I don't think he's like going skyrocketing up the SEC list of quarterbacks, but it uh, it says something about the way people analyze games that they look at and go, oh, he turned the ball over a few times, so I'm going to drop him. He looked inconsistent, so I'm going to drop him. Like Kellen Mond's going to be inconsistent this year. Corral, we have no idea. Um, you know, Burrow probably will be inconsistent as well. So he's still in that sort of three, four, five range in the SEC quarterback ranking. And I think what we're going to find is that when he plays against the Vanderbilts and Kentuckys and South Carolinas on the schedule, he's going to play lights out. And then when he plays against really good defenses, there's going to be some inconsistency, just like every other quarterback in the country. Yeah, Joe Burrow last year and his stats against um Miami against Florida against Mississippi State, Alabama, uh, Georgia weren't that great. weren't weren't great. He don't he didn't throw a single touchdown versus those two versus those teams. Will so we talk about inconsistent and, and where uh, yeah it was his first year at LSU. Don't get me wrong, uh, but by the season's end, everybody wanted to kind of compare where those two quarterbacks were and and that October stretch there uh, for Burrow didn't really speak too highly and, and uh, for what he could do. Everybody expects him to take those next steps as well, uh, much like Felipe Franks. Well, and the the thing is, is that everybody's going to point out that Franks was involved in the four turnovers, and you're absolutely right. But he was also integral to the four scoring drives. I mean, he got the ball out to Tony really quick and accurately on that touchdown throw. He got the ball, you know, he's the one who hit Hammond right in stride so that he could keep running after he caught the ball going downfield. And if you look at it on the four scoring drives, so the three touchdowns and the field goal, um, Franks was eight of 12 for 170 yards. So average 14.2 yards per throw. Now everywhere else, he was nine of 15 for 84 yards. So that's again, the, the inconsistency that we see, but you know, he was integrally involved in the scoring and he was integrally involved in the turnovers. And if they can limit the turnovers or if he can limit the turnovers, then I think we're going to start, if we see a little bit more good Franks than bad Franks, then we're going to be, uh, we're going to be pretty pleased with the way the season goes. I think, though, there is good Franks in there, and that, and that I think is what people are missing a little bit, that that there were times where he played well in this game. There were times he probably didn't, but um, you know, that's sort of the reality of, of just about every quarterback in the country and really every offense in the country, right? There's going to be times where something's open and you screw it up or times where you get a three and out just because the defense wins, and Miami's got a pretty good defense, so it shouldn't be a real surprise that they're going to win every once in a while. Well, his uh, sideline antics, of course, got a lot of headlines as well. Uh, and, and you either like it or you don't. Uh, he still gets emotional from, from the outside noise, has a chip on his shoulder. We know he plays better, I think, with that chip on his shoulder. It uh, doesn't bother me uh, too much to see it, but if he's going to continue to do it, then he needs to play well, uh, needs to continue to win games, or that you know those antics and, and those actions there 
um, you know, I think you know, the fan base turns uh, some if if you don't play well, if you don't win games when uh, when you kind of act like that. So you know, uh, I don't know how much more we'll see it. Uh, like I said, I think a lot was made of this Miami game. I think there was, I think it was emotional. It's a rivalry game uh, there, and plus a lot of people noticed it. So I'm sure something will be said behind the scenes uh, about that stuff. Sure. I mean, it's interesting because the fan base gave him crap before he really displayed a chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily sure that the chip on the shoulder is the reason why he's going to get criticized. The reason why he's going to get criticized is because he throws a backbreaking interception in the fourth quarter or because he doesn't win the game. So, you know, the noise here is loud, but Florida won the game. The question then becomes, you know, what happens when he throws a pick six in the fourth quarter that costs him a game? I mean, it'll be it'll be apoplectic, but it won't have anything to do with his attitude. He could be he could be a choir boy, and if he throws a pick six to end the game against LSU, um, you know, he's still going to get excoriated by the fan base. So I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into it. If that's what he needs to play well, hey, more power to him. Um, you know, it may not be our style. It may not be. You know, it may not be what we want to see, but at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with how he plays on the field. And, mm -hmm. and you know, let, let the kid be a kid and, and you know, criticize him when he plays poorly and, and laud him when he plays well. And I think that's sort of the thing that, you know, I don't want to come off as a Franks defender because there were certainly things that need to improve. But, you know, at the same time, let's look at the things he did well. He averaged 9.4 yards per attempt. And you can say, well, he had the two long throws. It's like, yeah, but he hit the two long throws. Like, that's... That's, that's what happens. Like Part of it, when, yeah. when you hit a 77 yard throw, it improves your average. But over the course of the year, that average means something. And he's, he's never, he's never averaged more than 7.4 yards per completion. I think, um, you know, over the course of his career. And so if he's at 9.4, he has improved. And so let's take a look and say he has improved. There are areas that he still needs to improve. And I think you can say that for the entire team. I mean, the defense had some issues tackling. Um, special teams gave up the uh, gave up the fake the fake field goal, even though there were sort of dueling penalties there, but still um, gave that up. I think you can say that the safety play needs to improve considerably from the way it was in the game. I think you could say Mullen could do a better job, both from a game plan perspective, from challenging fumbles that seem pretty obvious to fans who saw it on the field. Um, you know, just uh, in general, the way he managed the game at the end in terms of having, you know, why aren't you running the ball? <laughs> like, even if you only get two yards, it still takes 40 seconds off the clock. And that's, and that's a worthwhile endeavor just to get Miami to give up their, their timeouts. So, you know, I think everybody can improve coming out of this game. And, and that's certainly what we hope to see moving forward. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, you just mentioned it run game. Yeah. It couldn't get going, uh, but it's still seeing you know, some clunky, clunky play with some clunky play calling. Wow. That was a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tony barely gets the ball uh, after starting off the game well. Uh, I think more wide receiver screens probably should have been utilized uh, as well. Those, those work for the most part. And with, and with Florida's, you know, kind of especially Trevon Grimes and, and Kyle, Kyle Pitts, those big bodied screens, would you struggle running the ball as much as they were? This could be extension uh, of run plays there. Not much creativity and trying to get the run game going as well. Uh, it just seems kind of be an off night uh, on calling plays as well. Uh, so, you know, it's not to say there weren't good play calls, but inconsistent in that department too, uh, uh, Will. So, but with that said, I was still surprised with the way Florida struggled running the ball. Uh, I, I thought, you know, for a young offensive line, run blocking 
would kind of seem to be easier uh, at this point in time to be pass blocking. They pass blocked well, uh, I thought, for, for the most part of the night. But, you know, Miami was selling out for the run. Uh, they, they wanted to they, they wanted to make Franks beat them uh, and, and, let, and let some favorable matchups there. Uh, but, you know, Michael Piran couldn't get going. What many running lanes going uh, out there? But really, you know, Davis, Pierce, uh, you know, those guys couldn't really get anything going at all. But not not a lot of carries. Just wasn't a lot of plays out there. Yeah, I mean, part of it was that, like you said, with all those turnovers, you don't get to run many plays. Part of it is you were behind when you came in out of halftime, so you sort of had to change up your game plan a little bit, probably. And then the other thing is, is that you know, I came into the game thinking that the tight ends were going to be a strength, and the tight ends were a definitive weakness, Ooh. especially in the running game. Yeah. They were they were not good blocking in the running game, and if your tight ends aren't blocking, and the guy off the edge is causing havoc and and forcing the running back back into the inside, you're going to have trouble. Now there were a couple of times where like i mentioned the davis pitch that seemed open but there were also times where if the tight end had made a block it would have sprung him and instead sort of olayed it and he gets and he gets wrapped up behind the line of scrimmage and I, and I think this sort of goes back to everyone at different times in the night didn't do their job the way they were supposed to and it just so happened that that started to then accumulate you know one guy on third down doesn't have the right block and all of a sudden you got a punt um, you know, Frank's throws a terrible interception when he when he sh- when he should have just thrown the ball away or eaten it and taken a sack. You know, P Ryan maybe do- doesn't cut in the right lane at one point. And I know there was a play that Tony was sort of uh, sort of juking around instead of just hitting a hole, and it looked like he could have gained four or five yards, and instead it ends up being a three yard loss. And you know, those sorts of things start to add up over the course of a game. And I think that's really probably going to be the message from Mullen um, heading into the next game: is do your job right? Like every play, you have to do your job. Like if you're the tight end, you have to get in front of the guy who's your assignment. You can't allay him like that can't work. And in fact, in the second half, I think that you did start to see that a little bit. I, you know, Kyle Pitts made a really nice block on the deep throw to Hammond that really gave Franks the time to make that throw. And I think they were a little bit more consistent in the second half. It just wasn't consistent enough and it's going to have to improve, but I think it will. Well, I know you got happy and one reason I could tell is because it was very, well, it was almost at the very top of your article when you started going in in depth, and that's and that's those special teams. And I know you 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 brought it up a, a lot, uh, you know, just the, the you know the, the amount of you know starters or impact players that play special teams uh, for for Mullen and what he's able to do uh, in that phase of the game. Hey, look, Mullen said post game they were running that fake punt on the first punt of the season, no matter what. Now, of course, it probably changes a little bit if you're backed up in your own goal line, but that was something they ha- had installed, something they were looking forward to, uh, and being the aggressor right from the get go. Well, maybe they should have had the punter play a couple of running back positions because he <laughs> he completely dusted the corner for Miami, just <laughs> outraced him to the corner. No, I mean, it's a great point that the special teams really, in some respects, are why Florida won this game, right? The fake field goal, and then the next play turns into a touchdown. All of a sudden, you're up 7-3 to three rather than handing the ball back over to Miami after Miami had gone right down the field to open the game. And then Miami fumbles the punt. They have the touchdown three plays later. So really, if you look at special teams, in some respects are responsible for 14 points out of the 24 that you scored. And then I think you go to the other side and you say, okay, well, when when Florida turned the ball over, so Franks and P. Ryan have the fumble and the result from the defense is a three and out. 
Then Franks and Davis have a fumble. They do give up a couple of plays. That turns into a field goal. Franks tipped interception, turns into the missed field goal. After the fake field goal with the penalties, the defense actually held twice. And then after Franks' interception to, to, to end Florida's night on offense, they get Miami to turn the ball over on downs with, I mean, Williams just running around for his life. So, um, you know, you sort of look at the dichotomy, the turnovers that Florida had, Miami couldn't turn into points. And so the defense really picked up the offense in that circumstance. And then the, I wouldn't call them turnovers, but I mean, obviously the fumbled punt's a turnover, but the fake field goal is essentially a turnover as well. And Florida turned that into points. So, um, you know, and, and even on the fake field goal, forcing the hold. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. Grenard who forced the hold with his effort to get out to the outside. I mean, very easily that turns into a first down, and then and then Miami's able to run the ball in, and and you know obviously you don't want the late hit there, you want the hold, but but the fact that they were able to get the hold and able to keep Miami out and 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 then shut them down, I think says something about special teams and the effort. You got Grenard there, you've got Van Jefferson was the one who was down on the uh, on the fumbled punt but he also had pinned him inside the five earlier in the mm-hmm. game when he had caught a punt down there so yeah i mean it, it's important it's it's a it's a statement to mullen that he's been able to get the starters to buy in you know to have a guy like van jefferson who's a senior be the gunner on your on your punt team says something about the players and 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 their willingness to do the little things to win let's move to the other side of the ball your key stat on defense you know florida had four turnovers on the offensive side of the ball Miami scored three points on those turnovers. Uh, so good job there by the defense. Uh, and the 4.6 yards per play, Florida surrendered by uh, or surrendered by Florida would have ranked 12th against FBS opponents last year. So as much as they were on the field, will able to to, to kind of withstand uh, you know punch after punch after punch. Miami uh, was bringing to the table. You know we, we we asked a lot from this unit on Saturday night. They didn't disappoint uh, in the one matchup. We knew they had a big advantage. You know, it lived up to the billing uh, last week at this time. Will exactly this last week you know we were doing our over under stat picks and we had uh we had the over under for 30 sacks uh for this defense will well they only need 20 more the rest of the season <laughs> to hit that 30 season mark or 30 sack mark uh with having 10 sacks versus miami so kind of kind of unreal you know as much as i saw that being a advantage for florida that matchup that that front seven that defensive line versus a true freshman left tackle or redshirt freshman right tackle or center making his first start I don't think anybody could have forecasted uh, the, the 10 sacks that came along uh, there. And also, you know, uh, it, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I mentioned it yesterday, but the emergence of Jonathan Gennard from the get go, uh, I think really speaks to, you know, what, like what, what Todd Grantham looks for in, in a player like that. It was a player he recruited at Louisville, knowing probably what he could do, knowing how he fit in his scheme comes in right away, we're all wondering how can you replace Jacopolite and what he brought to the table. And look, that you can definitely tell from from the get go, they're not the same type of edge rusher. Um, you know, Grenard plays a little more power. Uh, can, you know, can kind of bull rush more opponents. Jacopolite with speed around the edge, but for what he was able to show, game one, fit right in, come right in, and, and be a reliable piece of this defense already really impressed me. And, and some of the, you know, um, you know. Uh, a realization of what Todd Grant was looking for at that position. Yeah. I mean, Grenard was, was all over the place and it, it was really nice to see because it's one of those things where obviously replacing Ja'Kai polite is, is a, our big, big shoes to fill. And, 
and something that uh, you know we were wondering coming in. I would say Jabari Sanigo was a monster mm-hmm. over there on the right hand side, and that if the referees had decided to call holding every time they could have, Miami might have had negative yards for the evening because they were holding him on every play. It was just a question of when they were going to call it, and there were a couple of times where they kind of horse horse collared him to bring him down and 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 it wasn't even called in those cases and you know they also so they had 10 sacks 16 tackles for loss four passes defensed and five qb hurries so if you think about it williams had 30 throws and there were 10 sacks and five hurries so he was not sitting back there and and able to go through his progressions which is something that you know probably isn't his strength anyway but he winds up with 14 rushes for minus 42 yards now obviously sacks are in that equation mm-hmm. his, his yards above replacement was minus 2.12 which is significantly worse than Felipe Franks back in uh back in 2017 so like that's you know people are going to come out of there here saying Jaron Williams played great well you know, he was, he had 30 pass attempts, 214 yards, 7.1 yards per attempt. And the reality is, is that once Florida's defense got an idea of what he could and couldn't do, Miami couldn't move the ball. He had 16 pass attempts in the second half for 56 yards. So he averaged 3.5 yards per throw. And in the third quarter, which, you know, it's funny because Florida didn't get the lead until the fourth quarter, but in the third quarter, um, you know, after they had, yeah, yeah. after, after up seven, three. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, after halftime, yeah, Florida yeah, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. lead until after the turnover. But when when Florida's offense was still kind of struggling to get anything going, the the defense, Miami's offense, had nine plays for minus two yards mm. in the entire third quarter. So you look at where the game was won. That was where it was won. I mean, they had twenty seven plays for one hundred and three yards in the fourth quarter, but still, that's just three point eight yards per play. So it's not as though they were moving the ball a ton, and really had a bunch of those drives extended by. Uh, bypass interference penalties and then i mean the pressure came from everywhere you got miller at two sacks campbell at one zuniga one and a half grenard one and a half trey dean one and a half moon a half a sack schuler a half a sack and then marlon dunlap a half a sack so you know zuniga i think was the one that i would look at and say he was the one doing the yeoman Mm -hmm. share of the work really sort of forcing Miami to do things to deal with him. And the minute they did, it opened up other things. And and by the time the fourth quarter came around, it was just every play. You were like, up, oh, they're bringing the house. And they were able to hold up enough on the back end to be able to make that happen. I, I still think there's some adjustments they need to make in the defensive backfield, or at least how they're going to play some of their match coverages. But, uh, but overall for a first game, you know, with some of the youth that they had and, and some of the guys who were in there who probably won't be in there at the end of the year, or at least not in that position, I think, uh, I think they played pretty well. Yeah, well, one you mentioned adjustments, and one adjustment I wanted to make: Brevin Jordan hurt this defense early on for the tight end for Miami. And I, I mean, the, he was after the first drive or, or two there for Miami. He just he didn't do much the rest of the game. He he definitely was a weapon. Definitely they could split him out wide and, and get mismatches, and they got some mismatches early uh, there for him. But uh, for, to, for for what Florida was able to do after uh, after that first drive against those Miami tight ends, you know, they saw something on tape, were able to adjust, and, and really, I think once once Florida was able to do that, you know, we'll, we'll get into it right here, uh, Will. Uh, but uh, you know, tackling uh, was a huge issue. But before we move to that issue, I think being able to. To, to take away after that first drive, Miami seems to be best weapon and, and most consistent playmaker on, on, on offense was something huge for the Gators as well. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was interesting. So Miami had five explosive plays, and three of them I marked down as having terrible tackling, and then one was the touchdown pass to Jordan where he should have probably been brought down a yard or two before the sticks, and he wound up breaking the tackle and going yeah. in for the touchdown. So four of their explosive plays were uh, had tackling issues. And if you look at it, Florida gave up 4.6 yards per play, which you already mentioned it would have been 12th last year. But if you subtract the five explosive plays, they would have given up 2.3 yards per play. And so if they, again, the tackling, like let's say the 24-yard run for DJ Dallas ends up being 10. And the, you know, the 40-yard pass on the screenplay ends up being 12. And then the 50-yard run ends up being like 15. Well, now you're looking at, um, and now you're looking at just a significant, basically the offense gives up no point or the defense gives up no points at that point. Right. I mean, just with a little bit of an improvement in tackling. And and the thing is last year when they struggled with being gashed on big plays, it was because guys were out of position. I mm-hmm. didn't see that as much in this game. I mean, there were a couple of guys who maybe were out of position, but for the most part, they were there and they just whiffed on the tackles. And that is correctable. Like having the guy in the wrong position is an issue. Yeah. Having, having the guy miss the tackle is an issue, but it's a correctable issue. I think last year, um, and, and especially against Georgia and against Missouri, um, the linebackers floor really got exposed for jumping out of gaps. And I didn't see a lot of that. What I saw was guys were in the right position. One in particular I'm thinking of with the two safeties who sort of pinned the, run, pinned the wide receiver oh, up against the sideline. It's just like, didn't move and let him run yeah. right past. And it's like that kind of stuff will get you benched. Yeah. But, but you but you were in the right position. And so I'm encouraged that they're going to be able to tighten that up as we move forward. Well, the the, the tackling and having trouble tackling was an issue last season early on. Uh, you know, and many deserve blame here. Uh, but that can't happen with your safeties like that either. Uh, I mean, I'm okay. Uh, and Steiner and Taylor not letting big plays happen over the top in the in the passing game, but they still have issues breaking down and, and getting tackles when the plays in front of them. Uh, but they, they weren't the only ones though. Uh, there were times when Wilson and Henderson, um, you know, had had their chance and they whiffed uh, linebackers too, especially on the on the long uh, runs there for for Miami. Now and I'm not saying that this can't be fixed and, and believe it will, but it needs to in a hurry. You know, Florida had these same issues versus Charleston Southern in game one last season, and that did translate into the Kentucky game uh, the, the the following week. So a lot of that to me is a, a lack of you know a lack of focus. Uh, sometimes uh, I don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and call it a lack of physicality. I, I don't think that's the, the case at all. But you know, a, a lack of focus at times, and also just you know, it, when it happened last year, Miami. You go to Kadarius Kadarius Tony's first touchdown, and the tackles he broke as well. You know, with the way the game of football is changing, and, and the way they're trying to protect these players, and when you're getting ready for a season in the summertime, you know, you, you don't hit as much uh, in, in practice as you used to. Football players used to and i do think that translates to these early season games you see some of the sloppy tackling yeah i mean i think that's absolutely true i think part of it is is that you know you would hope that the tackling would get better in the third and fourth quarter because you sort of knocked the rust off i think that's maybe where it's where it's disturbing but like you said i mean you know miami had tackling trouble trouble as well you you would have hoped that they would have had a little bit more tackling trouble against florida's run game and they certainly didn't show that but the other thing is dj dallas is a good player Mm -hmm. right and he, he's a tough runner, and he's one of those guys who you really need to bring to the ground. And I'm not sure they necessarily understood that early on and understood how hard he was going to run. I know there were a couple of plays where he got hit and was able to sort of extend the play three or four more yards after he got hit mm-hmm. early on. And you see something like that, and you go, okay. Like at some point he's going to get hit, maintain his balance, and keep going. And that happened a couple of times. So, um, again, I, 
I think what you need to do, and, and I think you'd say this with Franks. I think you say this with the special teams. I think you say this with the defense. You say, okay, you did some things that were good. Were you in the right position? And if you were in the right position and you were reading the right thing and you did the right thing, sort of like Franks' interception to, that tipped off of Swain. I mean, Swain was open. So if he hits him in the chest, like you did everything right, but the throw was a little bit inaccurate. Okay, that can be fixed. And then you look at, um, and then you look at the two safeties that that pin pin the wide receiver on the sideline. You were in the right position. You didn't tackle him well. That can be fixed. Um, if you're out of position, don't know what you're doing, or you're confused, those are things you can't necessarily fix, at, at least not fix quickly. And that's when I think you really need to make a change. And I didn't see a lot of that in this game. I saw most of it was they were familiar with the scheme, didn't necessarily execute. And I think you could say that sort of across the board for everybody, um, but particularly when it comes to tackling. Well, we'll end this episode. The Gators are one and a. They beat Miami. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you want, man. You yeah. want it, you, you want sixty to nothing? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, don't I, get yeah. me wrong, and, and, and that's the thing, you know. Even I, and, and we we picked the game, we picked our score, and all that. Yeah, I mean, I had Florida winning by a couple scores. Don't get me wrong, but I walked out of that stadium. I was happy. I was happy as that could be. I, I remember that game in twenty thirteen. Florida turned the ball over what five times, I think, uh, in, in twenty thirteen. You know, and I, I'm not going to sit here and say that that game led to. Uh, uh, the demise of uh, of Will Muschamp, or and that 2013 season, a lot of injuries happened there. But you know they, they, had, they, could, they could gather no momentum uh, from that game, and yet with, with the spotlight that was on this game, you know, Florida finds a way that to lose that game, and you know I think the psyche with the, with the psyche of this team probably does take a big hit. And uh, look, I know I said the same thing last year versus Kentucky, and there was a lot of work to do then. Uh, but you know it, it is one game. The Gators are one and zero. Uh, and I think, like I said, my expectations aren't changing right now. I just think it'd be too much of an overreaction to, to, to sit here and say, you know, I mean, good or bad uh, of what Florida can do. I'm still going with just my original uh, prognostication for this team. Yeah, I'm not sure that my opinion of the team has changed a whole lot. I, I think I look at this and I say, in some respects, it's encouraging because last year in that – so do I think this year's Miami team is better – than last year's Kentucky team. I, I actually do. I think this year's Miami team is probably better than last year's Kentucky team. And last year when they tried to put the game on Franks in the second half against Kentucky, he wasn't able to get the job done. Hmm. And in this game, he was able to get the job done. Now, part of that, I mean, with a significant assist from the defense, but at the same time, like he hit the pass he had to hit to put him ahead. When they got the turnover on the punt, that ball got turned into it, you know, it got turned into a touchdown right away. And, you know, that's not necessarily something that we saw last year. So I, I think we've seen some progress. But I, I also want to say that I do think that there is reason for concern in certain areas. And mm -hmm. I understand why people would be reticent to sit here and say everything's perfect because everything's not perfect. Nope. But, I, but I think if you came into this game thinking everything was perfect, I think your expectations were maybe a little bit beyond what, what's reasonable for an opening game. There's going to be rust. It's a rivalry game. There's going to be some stupid penalties. There's going to be some turnovers. And, you know, you sort of ride with it hope you get out of the game with the win and like you said Florida's want to know all their goals are still in front of them they got a few they have a week off then they have a cupcake to sort of lick their wounds and then the season the season really starts when you get into the sec and and when they hit that auburn lsu um 
South Georgia, Carolina, South Carolina stretch. I mean, that's going to be when this becomes important. And if they're still turning the ball over left and right, they're not going to be very good. The record is going to be terrible. Yeah. But if they can fix these things, you know, and you learn something by playing Miami, if you turn the ball over a couple of times against Charleston Southern, what do you really learn? I think you learn something here and you learned it in a win. And that's a whole lot better to learn it in a win than it is like last year when they learned it in a loss to Kentucky. And and you just hope that they that they take the lessons that they learned from the win, recognizing that even though you won the game, you still need to be better and, and can move forward from there. I mean, yeah, after that loss to Kentucky, Florida was not going to go to Rocky Top and get a win. They weren't going to go to Starkville and get a win. They didn't have a chance against LSU. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit. You know, does it mean mean Florida's going to turn it around and and start beating uh, all these teams coming up either? But I'd just like to say, you know, it remains to be seen uh, either way and no rash judgments here just because of a 24-20 win. Win. It was a win. Remember that. It was a win. Uh, I, I will say one thing is that, you know, in, in his first two years, McIlwain was seven and one in one score games and Mullins now four now. And mm-hmm. so while Florida's point differential was of a 10 win team last year, you know, you do need to start thinking about at some point, those one score games become a mirage because they're usually 50, 50 propositions. And sometimes coaching can point you towards winning those games. But if you consistently dare the football gods, you are eventually going to get bit. And, you know, that happened to McIlwain. They had those two real close losses in 2017 to LSU and Texas A&M. And then the whole season started to unravel from there. I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but I am saying that if you keep sort of playing at the level of your competition, I mean, Florida was a superior team in this game. You could tell on the field, Florida had more weapons. Florida had control of the game until they didn't. And if they keep daring the other team in that way, they're going to get bit at some point. So really, I think, you know, the lesson hopefully for the team coming out of this is that when you've got an opportunity to put your foot on the throat, you put your foot on the throat and, and you don't look back. And um, I suspect that that will be a message that is conveyed to them this week. <laughs> All right, Will. So oddly enough, there's a bye week coming up. What are you doing? What are you doing Saturday? <laughs> Watching college football, man. All right, there we go. Just making sure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. This this is only like three months of the year, man. So like when it when it actually happens, you got to enjoy it. It's 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 like a holiday. We we had something scheduled for for Saturday that I bailed on because I was watching this game and and uh, watching it from the comfort of my own home. So it was uh, it was a good time. And you know, again, college football's back. Whether Florida's good or not good, I'm gonna love watching my Gators. And um, end of the day, I'm happy to get a win. Absolutely, I'm ready to watch some. Uh, ready to watch some college football too. And uh, after having a, a win over Miami in the uh, in the chamber here, we can sit back and relax and watch all these other teams. Uh, you know, either impressed, not impressed, and maybe some more overreactions for some other teams next week. <laughs> well, we can we can root for Boise State, that's for sure. So, oh yeah, I mean, we, it'll be orange and blue right here. It's I mean another orange and blue. We'll be rooting for uh, orange and blue. Uh, a blue, another orange and blue team against FSU. And that game's actually here in Jacksonville. So I, I thought about going, but. It's that night. I want to watch some other games at the same time. So, uh, you know, but it is well, what it is. I mean, I, I don't know why you'd want to go watch an ACC at a conference game when you can sit at home and watch the SEC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Georgia, Georgia and Vanderbilt play Saturday night as well. So, that's, yeah, I'm going to be watching that one. <laughs> go Commodores. Go Commodores. <laughs> ah, that's Will Miles. You can find his site at readandreaction.com. Uh, and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>